All right, if you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one again as we continue on in our study of the book of John. The book of John. If you don't have a Bible with you, just go ahead and put your hand up, and our ushers will get you a Bible that you can use to follow along in. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, please keep the one that you receive. Take it home. Dig into it. Uh, a couple of things going on this weekend. We just want to remember our, our men in prayer. There's a whole group of our guys who are up at Trout Lake Camp for the fall retreat this year. And um, just pray that God will speak to them as he's been doing this weekend. And that they'll finish strongly this morning. Um, they'll be in chapel right now, uh, being inspired by God through the speaker and in various ways. Um, just pray for their transformation as they finish out their weekend up there. Uh, one other thing of note this weekend that's very important to me, uh, my mom and dad are here this morning, and uh, it's really good to have them here. It is. And I need you to understand something. My love for God's word was planted in me by them. My love for God's family was planted in me by them. Parents, don't take your role lightly, ever. We have an opportunity to, to, to set our kids on the right path, to, to raise them up in the way that they should go, to demonstrate for them a love for God and for people that will, will grow in them throughout their lives. And my parents have done that for me. And so when we come together and we're studying the word together, and, and you can see, hopefully, the love that I have for God's word, it didn't just happen. I didn't just create that because I'm a great guy. That was planted in me from day one. I grew up in a house that was filled with the word of God. I grew up in churches where I saw a pastor love on his flock to a degree far beyond anything I'll ever be able to accomplish. And I'm very, very grateful for them. Man, all on one Sunday. <laughs> Last week we looked at the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000 men and all the women and children that came with them. It was a spectacular miracle. And the book of John is full of spectacular miracles. And like the video pointed out, the miracles had a purpose. They had a purpose. Jesus displayed that kind of power so that the world would believe that he was the Son of God and had come to save them. There was a purpose to it. And as we continue to walk through the book of John, remember that God directed John to write with a specific purpose. Last week's passage was incredible. Today's passage, the story today, is going to blow you away as well. But please don't walk away from this merely having been entertained by a spectacular story. Respond to the reason why John said he recorded all these events. He wrote so that we would believe. He wrote so that we would believe. We've talked before about the signs that John records in his book Signs are miracles or supernatural occurrences that point to the identity of Jesus Christ. They show us who he is. He displays who he is in very specific ways. And I want to do a quick review of those signs because we're going to see another one this morning. So here we go. The first sign, the first of those signs that we read about was way back in John chapter 2. 
verses 1 through 11. Jesus attended a wedding with his family and with his disciples, and the groom's family ran out of wine. So Jesus stepped in and he performed a miracle, saving the groom from humiliation. In that miracle, we saw Jesus transform some ceremonial washing water into the symbol that would represent his blood, the source of our righteousness. The only way to eternal purification. Jesus also took his place as the bridegroom in that setting and made a statement that way. And the world was beginning to see who he was. And it was not a coincidence that the groom's family ran out of wine at that wedding. Jesus didn't just step in and react to some problem, some circumstance. That was meant to happen. God ordained for that to happen so we could see who Jesus is. The second sign was found in John chapter 4, verses 46 to 54. Jesus healed healed a military official's son. And what set this apart was that Jesus simply told the official that his son was healed. He just told him. The word of Jesus was enough The word who had become flesh had created the world with just a word. Through his words, this earth came into being. And now he healed a boy with just his word. This was who Jesus was. He is the word. The word became flesh. The third sign was found in John 5, 1 through 15. Jesus healed a paralytic who was sitting next to a pool that was thought to have healing powers. That healing happened on the Sabbath, something which would drive the religious leaders crazy that Jesus would do this on the Sabbath. But Jesus was showing that he was indeed the Lord of the Sabbath, among many other things. That was his day. That's who he was. The fourth sign is the one that we looked at last week. Jesus fed the crowd using just five small loaves and two fish. He provided a plentiful meal for a huge crowd. And here's where some direct parallels to Moses come into play. A connection was made between God providing bread for the Israelites in the wilderness through Moses and God providing food for the crowd through Jesus. Jesus was identified as the prophet that Moses spoke of, but he was so much more than that. There was so much more to come. So it's time for us to look at the fifth sign that John included in his book. It's today's passage, and it is one stunning story. It's found in John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. So turn there now, John 6, 16 through 21. I'm going to back up one verse to build up to it. John 6, 15 says this. This is on the tail end of him feeding the 5,000 and many more. John writes this about Jesus. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. That's important. Jesus has gone off by himself up the mountain. His path would not be determined by the people. They were not going to say, Jesus, you're our king now. That's not how this was going to play out. And so Jesus put a stop to it. And he headed up to the mountain by himself. He was on a mission. And he was directed by his father only. And so this is where we pick up the story. John 6, 16, Jesus is away by himself up the mountain. John writes this. He says, when evening came, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, went down to the sea 
got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. They saw Jesus walking on the sea. On the sea. Jesus walked on the water. I want to give you just a little bit of background here uh, on this story, and then we're going to break it down in a very different way than we have before. This will look a little bit different this morning. But I want to tell you about the sea, the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was famous for its wind. The Sea of Galilee, we mentioned this before, was located 700 feet below sea level. The mountains surrounding the Sea of Galilee raised up to a height of 2,000 feet above sea level. So that difference, 2,700 feet on either side of the lake, created this massive wind tunnel. And so this happened a lot. There were a lot of, of storms on that sea. Now that said, the passage that we're looking at this morning is not the passage where the disciples are caught in a storm and Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat. This is not the one that we're looking at, but in that story as well, the wind played a very significant role. It was very common to have strong winds blowing through that area across the Sea of Galilee. Now there's one more thing that I want to say about the wind and the water. And this has to do with the sign that Jesus gave us about who he is. This is a passage from Exodus 14 about the time when Moses led the nation of Israel out of Egypt and into freedom. These verses give us a great parallel between Moses and Jesus. So this is Exodus 14, verses 21 and 22. It says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So we have your water obstacle and we have your strong wind. Not coincidence. Again, I want us to move now into a look at our passage that goes beyond the book of John. Um, we're going to do um, what, a little bit of what I'm calling a gospel mashup. It's our word for the day, mashup. Everyone say mashup. Mashup, okay, that's your word today. It's our theme today because when we're finished our study in the word, um, Matt and Alicia are going to come back up here and they're going to sing for you a worship song mashup. So we're going to carry on with that and I'll say more about that when we get there. In your program that you were handed this morning is an insert that we're going to learn from this morning. We're going to use this as our tool. Go ahead and get that out in front of you. The story of Jesus walking on the water is not only found in the book of John, but it's found in Matthew and Mark as well. So we're going to look at them together. We're going to mash them together and look at this story as a whole based on what we're getting from three gospel accounts. This is John 6, 16 to 21, combined with Matthew 14, 22 to 33, and Mark 6, 45 to 52. I've crammed them all together. Look at the color key at the end at the bottom of your insert. Black print is from John. Red print is from Matthew. Blue print is from Mark. And green print is from both Matthew and Mark. All right, you got that? Good. Here we go. It's right in front of you. If you don't have it, it's okay. Just listen along as I put these stories together. You've heard me read the first passage. So here we go. 
Backing up again, John chapter 6, verse 15, Jesus dismissed the crowd and he withdraws to the mountain, telling his disciples to go to the village of Bethsaida on the east side of the sea and meet him there. Now I want to set up our room so we have a visual here, okay? I'm standing at the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee, right? There's your visual. Over here on this side, on the east side, is where Jesus has gone with his disciples. They needed to be in a place where it was a little quieter. There wasn't so much action going on. Uh, We talked about what happened during six months between John 5 and 6, how busy this all was. Well, they had gone then away from the busy side, the west side of the Sea of Galilee, to the less busy side, the east side, okay? Somewhere about halfway down this room is where they were. They were over here on the east side. Over here on the west side are two cities that you're going to see in John's gospel account and in the other gospels as well. You're going to see Capernaum over there. You're going to see Bethsaida over here. Two cities over here. Now, something that I had to learn, which intrigued me, because you're going to see a discrepancy between two of the gospels. One of them is going to say that they they sailed for Bethsaida. The other is going to say that they sailed for Capernaum. And so some people have taken this and gone, what a total contradiction. Which one were they sailing to? Were they going to Bethsaida or were they going to Capernaum? Okay, well, here's the thing that we have to understand. The city of Bethsaida is over here. The village of Bethsaida is over here. And so that plays into what happened here. Jesus and his disciples are over here, away from busyness. And Jesus sends his disciples to Bethsaida, the village, to meet him there while he goes up into the mountain by himself. Keep that in mind, okay? All right, here we go. The mashup. When evening the next day, when evening the next day came, his disciples went down to the sea to Bethsaida, the village of Bethsaida, where Jesus had told them to take the boat the day before and meet him there. They got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum, over there. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them where he had agreed to meet them. The sea became rough, strong winds beating against the bow of the boat because a strong headwind was blowing. Now between about 3 and 6 a.m., When they had rowed about three or four miles out into the Sea of Galilee, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, meaning to pass them by. It looked like he was just going to walk right on past them and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. They thought it was a ghost. But he said to them, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And watch where we go now. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. There was something still going on with them. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. 
All right, I gave this morning's message the title, Buy One, Get Three Free. Seemed like a fitting title to me because I was all set to approach this message as a look at the time when Jesus walked on water. And I'm not taking anything away from the fact that Jesus walked on water. I still can't wrap my head around that. If you can, let me know. But it's not possible. You can't walk on water. I've tried faking that illusion before. Um, I used to be, when I lived up in Canada, I used to have a group of friends that um, we all had four-wheel drive trucks. And we would go an off-road on a regular basis. We'd do it just about every weekend. Seven of us. And we had a young adults group that all piled into our vehicles and we headed up into the mountains and, and just all, had all kinds of crazy fun. But there was one day we came across this place as we were, we were going through these great mud pits and we came down to the side of the river, the banks of the Fraser River. And uh, we, we were looking around and we, we were uh, playing in the water and stuff. It was a calm stretch of the river. And then all of a sudden my friend Mike, he discovered that just a little ways, about 30 feet offshore was a sandbar. And the water was about that deep. Now, you had to work to get there, because it did a, one of these, and then up onto the sandbar. So he sacrificed his car, and he went down into the water, drove up the other side, and got up on the sandbar. And then when he parked his truck, it looked like he was driving on water. So he had this great little illusion going, but it, it's not possible, as he proved on the way back. You can't drive on water. <laughs> but Jesus did the impossible. He literally walked on the water. And unfortunately, there are some pastors today, like I mentioned last week, same kind of thing. They're trying to take away from Jesus' miracles by explaining away what what more likely happened. And so there are preachers out there right now that are teaching that Jesus was actually on the shore, walking along the shore, and his disciples saw him walking along the shore, and they assumed that he was walking on the water. Three miles from shore. He wasn't. He was walking on the water. They're they're not right. Jesus walked on the water. But there was more to this story. Peter also walked on water. Even more remarkable. That's the second miracle. The storm stopped. Not a coincidence. It didn't just, just coincidentally get calm at that point. Another miracle. And the boat... The boat miraculously broke the space-time continuum. It arrived at the western shore of the Sea of Galilee from the middle of the sea, about three miles away, without time elapsing. That's four miracles. That's four miracles. Only Jesus could have pulled that off. Let that sink in. Four inexplicable events in one story. Four miracles. I want us to consider the responses and and results of Jesus doing the impossible and and giving the world this picture of who he is. After the first sign, turning the water into wine, Jesus' disciples took a step towards Jesus, and they chose to follow him. After the second sign, the healing of the official's son, that official, that military official, believed that what Jesus had spoken happened. He believed, remember, he went home without any evidence That his son had been healed. He believed. After the third sign, the healing on the Sabbath, Jesus' followers declared their devotion to Jesus. They stuck with him in the face of opposition. They went after Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath. But his disciples said, It doesn't matter the opposition that we're getting, we're sticking with you, Jesus. And they took another step of faith. They declared their devotion to Jesus. 
Following the fourth sign, the people that Jesus fed were convinced that Jesus was their king. This is the prophet. That's a leap for them. Thousands of years had passed since Moses prophesied that the prophet was coming, that God was going to send the prophet. And now they're willing to take that jump and say, this is it. This is him. He's the prophet. And following the fifth sign, the the four-for-one miracle extravaganza on the sea, what did Jesus' disciples do? How did they react? Listen, the disciples did exactly what they should have done. They worshipped Jesus. They worshipped him. The disciples had seen all five signs. They had seen the reactions of the people. They had risked a lot to follow Jesus. They had seen his power demonstrated over and over and over. What was Jesus going to do with them next? Well, next Sunday we're going to see what Jesus does next. We're going to take a critical look at what Jesus says that absolutely belongs where it is. It's generous and loving and gracious and like so many other events and demonstrations and teachings of Jesus, it demands a response. And I want to remind you that that next Sunday is an invitation Sunday. Bring somebody that you know. I want to talk to them about who Jesus is and what he promises to be for everyone he's created and how essential it is that we receive that and act on that. And it's so hopeful and it is so encouraging To see this about Jesus, and it relates to anybody out there, whatever they're facing. So Chapel Hill, here's my question for you this morning. What do you do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? I don't care how many times you might have heard the story of Jesus walking on water. What do you do with it? How do you respond to it? There's one fitting response to what we've just seen in John and And Matthew and Mark, it's worship. The creator of the universe came to earth and displayed his infinite power for the sake sake of restoring his creation, you and me. What do we do with that? What do we do with him? What do we do with Jesus? Jesus walked on water. He empowered Peter to walk on water. He calmed a stormy sea. He teleported a boat filled with his disciples. We just saw God at work. Well, wasn't that interesting? That was interesting. I learned some new facts. I hadn't realized that before. That was interesting. God displayed his love and his power here on earth for us. He can do anything. The impossible is possible. Jesus has the power to rescue us. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's capable of. He has that power. Like Moses led the Israelites out of the bond of slavery to the Egyptians, Jesus led us out of slavery to sin. So what do we do? Worship him. We worship him. Don't let this account of Jesus doing the impossible slide by as as, as just some interesting bit of religious history. Worship Jesus for what you just saw him do. And then, church, and then make Jesus the source of your life. You've chosen to follow him. You've chosen to believe in him. You've set yourself apart in this world as a follower of Jesus. You've seen that he is fit to be king. You know of his kingdom. We talk about it a lot. You have worshipped him. 
haven't you? Is Jesus more than just the, the best magician on this season of Israel's Got Talent? Don't applaud him. Worship him. Worship him. And then what? As a Christ follower, now what? We're about to find out. We're at a crossroad for Jesus and his disciples. Being ready to face that crossroad requires us to meet Jesus in worship. To worship him. If we don't see Jesus for who he really is, we can't live as a reflection of his image. Think of, of, about the things that you know of who Jesus is. You know that he's the son of God, that he was born of Mary through a virgin birth. You know that, right? You know he's the creator of the universe. He was there at the beginning. You know that he's full of grace and truth. You know that he has limitless power that he uses for compassionate purposes. You know that he laid his life down for us. He knows what's in each one of us. You know that. Now think along the lines of the signs that we've seen. He turned water into wine. He healed from a distance with his word. He erased 38 years worth of disability. He turned a boy's lunch into a meal for 15 to 20,000 people. He walked on water, empowered another to walk on water. He calmed the sea. He made a boat travel three miles in a blink. And what would he do? What was coming up? He raised the dead. He defeated death. He paid for sin. He raised you and me from the dead and gave us new life. Your response, church? Oh, please let it be worship. Let it be worship. But don't let it end there. As we end our time together this morning, we're going to spend some time worshiping Jesus. And this is where the other mashup comes in. Matt and Alicia are going to sing for us a, a medley of some worship songs that we know. And what I'd like you to do during that time, during this first song that they're going to do, is I want you to just internalize your worship. I want you to connect with God, your spirit His. I want you to say things to Him as you listen. Now, you're going to be tempted to sing along with this. I tried that this morning in rehearsal. It doesn't work because they're going to jump from song to song. You don't know when they're going to jump. So let this be a blessing to you. Let this take you to a place where it's just you and God and you're able to say some things back to God. Things of worship. See, it does, it's not just singing. That's not it. That's not all of worship. It's not just when we sing. And I know that tension. I was... For, for most of my life, I was so disconnected with worship, I just kind of stood there like this and waited for the song to end. And there are a few songs that I really got into. We did uh, a remake of It Is Well. I loved that song all the way through growing up. But worship is more than that. It's, it's more than singing. There's so much more. In our very spirit. We declare our worship of God, of Jesus. We tell him we believe. We tell him we need him. We tell him we love him. And we recognize that he's God and we're not. And that we are entirely dependent on him for life. 
And, and I should be speaking those things to him all the time. And not just waiting for that time when one of my favorite songs comes on and I sing along with those words. I love those times. I love this morning as we kind of progress through that, 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 that history of, of God being with his people. And now we're moving into, we've moved into this era where God is in his people. He lives in us through his Holy Spirit. And we've gone from walking with him to him being in us and living through us. And there's so many things that we can pull out of all of this. We can pull out of the songs that we sung, the, the fact that he's our rescuer, that we don't need to be afraid. That he gives us the courage to face anything. That he gives us hope that goes far above and beyond our circumstances. All of these things can lead us to a place where we don't just wait for the song, but we're saying constantly, God, you are my rescue. You're my fortress. You're my savior. You're my king. You're my Lord. You're my friend. Say those things back to him. And so during this first song, just speak to him. And as you hear different things being stated up here in song, say those things to him in your head. Worship him just in your spirit. Connect with him. And then after that first song, you're going to be invited to stand and sing along with our closing worship song, where we will together worship. Church, how do we react to all this stuff that we see Jesus do? Worship. Worship. Don't just be interested in what happened. Don't just learn from what happened. Don't just applaud what happened. Worship the one who did it. Worship the one who does the impossible. It was such a great way for this story to end. After all of that, after what they thought was a ghost, he comes walking to them. Peter gets out and walks to Jesus and then sinks and Jesus pulls him up. They get in the boat and boom, it's calm. And then all of a sudden, the boat appears on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Take it all in and turn around and say, God, you're amazing. Jesus, you can do the impossible. And I am dependent on you 100% for anything that might happen in my life. You do that work in me. I am your servant. I'm your child. You are my king. You are my father. Worship him. Worship him, church. John put all these things in the book as God led him for a purpose and God led John to state the purpose so that we may believe, so that we may believe that Jesus is who Jesus is and worship him through that. So do that this morning. Just close this out in a spirit of worship and take it with you this week. That's what he's looking for. And then next week, we're gonna dive into the what's next and what. And it's great. It's such hopeful news. I'm going to invite the ushers to come now and our worship team as well. I'm going to ask that you pray with me as they prepare and we prepare our hearts. So we'll close your eyes, bow your heads. Let's pray together. God, help us. Help us to set aside all of the distractions right now, anything that is keeping us from truly seeing your power at work through Jesus Christ, your son. 
Help us to see that you can do the impossible. Help us to see that Jesus came to do far more than even Moses could. Jesus came to rescue us, not just physically out of slavery to another nation, but spiritually and eternally out of slavery to sin, out of our death sentence, out of the the punishment that we deserve. You sent your grace through and in Jesus Christ, and you offered it to us so that we could invite him in to cleanse us and forgive us and to come down inside of us and live through us. And so God, when we see your power on display through Jesus, when we see Jesus conquer the wind and the waves and take the delivery that Moses brought for Israel to a whole new level for the entire world, Help us to do what the disciples did in the boat when they reached the shore. Fall on our faces and worship you. You are our God. There is no other. You are everything that we need. There is no other. You are our source of life. There is no other. And we are so small before you. You're not there to serve us. We're here to serve you. But you have cleansed us and made us righteous. You've put your spirit in us. And now, as Jesus said, we will worship in spirit and truth as our spirits connect with you, as we speak back to you words of truth that you've given us, truth about who Jesus is, who you are, the truth about who we are. God, I just ask that for every one of us, for myself included, that as we pass through your word and we hear again for the hundredth time for some of us an incredible story from the Bible, we wouldn't let it just pass by. But we would bring it into our very lives and allow it to sink in and fall to our knees in worship. Can't describe who you are. It's too much. But God, I love you. And I want to put you on the highest place possible and keep you there as my Lord and my King. So God, as we walk away from today, from a story in your word, bring us to that place in whatever form that may take where we declare to you who you are and how much we need you and how much we love you the fact that we surrender fully to you all statements of worship. 
God, we praise you this morning for who you are. We praise you for your power, your ability to do the impossible, your ability to send Jesus Christ to come in the form of Jesus and rescue us eternally. Thank you for that. And as we come before you now, just meet us here. We have things that we need to say to you responses that need to come from our spirit, from our heart, from the very very core of who we are. God, receive those. You are our God. You are our King. You're our Savior. You're our Lord. You're our Father. You are everything to us. And we worship you this morning for who you are. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.